0: Sometimes we really don't know what it is that we had until we what? Until we lose it. Until we can't find it. This morning for a few minutes on this theme. Finding again the favor of God. Finding again the favor of God. After the service a while ago in the nine o'clock service, one of our one of our brothers who's watching online texted me and he said, David, all this week, off and on, I felt like the Lord was putting this in my heart. Because he was asking, Lord, how do you want me to pray? How do you want me to pray? He said he felt like, to his heart, the Lord said, I want you to pray for my prodigal children to come home because I miss them. Because I miss them. I'm talking today to some brothers and sisters in Jesus who may feel as if the days of the favor of God upon your life have come and gone. But I'm here to say to you, And I believe we'll find it clearly in the word if you'll walk with me through some scriptures that it is possible, it is likely that you will be able to find again the favor of God upon your life. I I want you to look with me at a few different spots. So so what is the favor of God? What is the favor of God? It seems that there are two prominent ways in which the Lord places His favor, puts His hand of blessing upon a life. One is when He puts His favor upon our hands upon the works of our hands, upon the physical, material parts of who we are. The other is when he sets his favor on our hearts, the invisible, unseen, but very real parts of who we are. He's able to do it both ways. And I'm talking to some folks who would have to say there have been things that have come my way that I didn't deserve. There have been doors that have opened up for me that I didn't deserve. There have been people somehow that I have been able to know and have been affected by and blessed by that I don't know where they came from, except that the Lord was favoring me. Listen to the Lord's heart one more time, Deuteronomy chapter 28. Now, it shall be, if you will listen diligently, as that's the way that it should be read. The word is often translated "obey." It shall be if you will diligently obey, but the literal word is listen, meaning that if you listen and you're really listening, then there'll be a response to what you have heard, and that's where obedience comes in. So it's translated often in the English in this way. Now, it shall be if you will diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments, which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you will obey the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the country Blessed shall be the offspring of your body and the produce of your ground and the offspring of your beasts, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. There were no he when the Bible was written. I know that's hard for some of us to believe. But what the Lord is saying, they're in the category in the life of the child I love that I don't want to bless. If they're raising cattle, I want to bless the cattle. If they're blazing, raising sheep and goats, I want to bless the sheep and goats. If they're growing crops, I want to bless the crops so that it's numbered, counted, with, astound- with, a, with astonishment in their barns. If it's in their kitchen. I want to bless the fire out of their kitchens. Now, he didn't say it that way. I know he didn't say it that way. But that's his heart. I want to bless the bowls you put that dough in and you turn it into rolls or you turn it into tortillas or you turn it into cinnamon rolls for Christmas. There's no category, no part of your life that I don't want you to feel the hand of my favor. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and shall flee before you seven ways. To walk and live in the favor of God doesn't mean that you won't have any opposition. In fact, sometimes you'll find opposition just because folks are flat out jealous of not only maybe what you have physically, materially, but what you have on the inside. That peace, that sense of joy, that sense of confidence when everybody else is freaking out, Somehow there's a steadiness about your gait. They can't figure that out, and so there can be opposition to rise. Number eight, verse eight, The Lord will command the blessing upon you in your barns and in all that you put your hand to, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Verse 11, And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the offspring of your body and in the offspring of your beast and the produce of your ground in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open for you the good storehouse, the heavens to give rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. The Lord has a way because he has a heart to do it, to set his favor on the works of our hands, to set his favor on the material part. If, we say it this way, if we will honor him, he will honor us. Now, you, you, What we need to do is just look around at what the Lord has blessed us with. And instead of forgetting that it came from him, we today begin all over again to say, Lord, that's your favor on my life. Uh, that, that Toyota that's got 150,000 miles on it, that F-150 that's got a little more than that, that, that whatever it is that you drive, whatever denomination of vehicle you drive, and it's still working, and the tires are still up, and the transmission still shifts, and it hadn't overheated. From the gratitude of a child, looking at that vehicle that he's protected you in, he's taken you where you need to go, he's kept things from happening, Lord, that's your favor on my life. You pull up to your house. You pull up to your, wherever you are, wherever you live, wherever you put your head on that pillow at night. It's been safe. It's been comfortable. It's been a home to you. Whereas ones around you may be staying up night afraid and problems can be happening in the area. Somehow, there's just a sense within your heart that he's taking care of you. What is that? That's the favor of God on your life. You're not a lost sheep. You're a found sheep. You hadn't strayed. You're looking to him and believing him and thanking him, living in the favor of God. You know, it's Christmas coming. My, about my only assignment on this thing of wrapping packages is that this index finger is told where it needs to be on the wrapping paper. And about all I've got the skill set to do is to keep my finger there until Shirley puts a tape across the thing right there. That's about all i got. That's all I'm allotted to. I can't ever make the corners straight. I can't ever cut the paper right. You just hold your finger right there and you'll get an attaboy from me. And that's what I'm going for is an attaboy. But in this time of giving gifts, and receiving gifts, doesn't it mean something to you when you feel like the gift that you are giving to someone, when that one receives that gift, there is a genuine gratitude. You feel it coming from them. Thank you. You didn't have to do this, but you did it, and I appreciate it. It may not be the most expensive thing in the world and, and solve all of their problems financially, but but you can tell from their heart somehow they appreciate what you made an effort to give to them. Where did we get that? Where did we get that? I believe we get that from the Father. who When he blesses us, when he, when he does what he doesn't have to do, But he just does it because he loves you. There is rising up from within us, not a just check the box, okay, fine, go on to the next present. But thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I see that gift to me, that provision to me that I've grown to be very comfortable with, and if I'm not careful, I can just forget all about it, that it has come from you. I'm wanting you to hear me say thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Whether it's property that we own, whether it's possessions that we have, whether it's people, whether it's babies, whether it's friends, whatever it is, the favor of God, the favor of God. You know what it'll do? It'll make everything around you, everything that is being provided from the hand of the Lord, it'll turn it all into something that's holy. Turn it all into something that came from God. And he doesn't give dirt. He doesn't give trash. He doesn't give polluted things. He gives from his heart to us the things that he knows will bless us, and that we because he delights to bless. It, we we read this uh, other verse that, that is uh, you know and it. It's often the, uh, the read when when things are tight financially, and you know, that's one of the first questions that. You know, that we need to ask ourselves, if things have tightened up financially for us, where, is, is there, is, could there be some reason for that? As <laughs> I Malachi 3, last, last book in the Old Testament, the Lord just says, bring the whole tithe. Don't, don't flip me a quarter, you know, bring the whole tithe, first 10% of what you make, what I bless you with, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house where folks will be able to get provision where they have need for provision. and that we want That's what he wants to help. We participate in his mercy, acts of mercy, Once we do this. Hold tithe in the store so that there may be food in my house, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflow, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it may not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will the vine in the fields cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. You honor me, and I'll honor you. Test me. You honor me, and I'll honor you. And he gives us permission to test him at that point. His heart is to open the wonders of heaven and bless us with not just enough, but more than enough. That, that's his heart. You read on down through the rest of this in verse 16. The prophet was having to deal with the, the, the ones in Malachi's day that had strayed away from just following, diligently obeying what the Lord had said, to release the blessings of the Lord upon them. It says in verse 16, then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. And then the Lord speaks, and they will be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On the day that I prepare my own possession, my own personal treasure is another way to translate that. And I will spare them, I will spare them, those who are obeying me, those who are are remembering to honor me, I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked. You will distinguish between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Now that's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? They'd be able to see the difference between somebody who is serving God, trying to obey the Lord, and somebody who isn't trying to. And I know folks say, well, I know a bunch of rich people, and they own half of the world, but they don't honor God. They're not not a, a Christian, or they're not a child of God and are public about it. You know, the other part of this where the Lord sets his favor that is harder to do in a sense, goes deeper than anything in the natural, is when God sets his favor on a heart, on a heart. You you can own half of Texas and be bankrupt with hope be bankrupt with joy. You got all this stuff and all those bank accounts and all those pumping wells and all those gas derivatives, all of those kind of things. But then in the middle of all of it, there's no joy. You know, a deep kind of joy. And and so you, you, you buy the lie that real joy just comes from more stuff. And the more stuff just keeps disappointing. What if there is something about God and his children? Not not only does he delight to favor the work of our hands, but he delights to put his favor on our hearts. Let me show you something. Go, go Go to 1 Samuel, the book of 1 Samuel. Back again to these early days of David's life. 1 Samuel chapter 16. And you'll remember what was going on with this this young man, David, the youngest of eight brothers. He he was assigned the job that evidently nobody else wanted to tend to, taking care of the sheep. So the prophet Samuel shows up. God's assignment for him was to anoint the next king of Israel. And we we find all these brothers being put before Samuel and and David's not even included in the meeting and and look at verse 6, 1 Samuel 16, verse 6, and it came about that when they entered that he, Samuel, looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I've rejected him for God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Look at down at verse 13. David came in, stood before Samuel. Verse 12, and the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. This is the next king of Israel. To the brothers, he was just a runt. To the parents, maybe he was just the Aaron boy. But to God, he was the next king of Israel. Look at verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil, and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. The Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. The Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David. Where did the Spirit of the Lord go? Where where was it that the Spirit of the Lord was to come? It wasn't that his body changed. It wasn't that his shoe size changed or his hair color changed. But something happened in David's heart. The Spirit of the Lord came in power to David's heart. I'm talking to some folks today who have had that happen to you in some form or at some time. You knew that before that happened, you were ordinary on steroids. There was nothing special about you. You, you struggled and may still have the struggles that many, many, many people do, but you came away from whatever that encounter was. Maybe it's when you walked down an aisle at a a youth camp and you, you opened your heart up and you invited Jesus to come and live within your heart and save you and rescue you and be alive in you. Maybe it was a time before you got married and the preacher said, I can't marry you unless you both know Jesus. Do you know Jesus? And you say, well, I don't know that I really know him. And somebody led you to faith in Christ. And from that point on, something began to change within your heart. The Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord moved into your heart. Sad thing can be, though. We've known seasons like that. And that's who I'm talking to this morning, maybe. But I've lost that sense of freshness. I've lost that sense of his presence, I've lost that sense of his power in my life. Is there any hope? We'll find out that David is one of the greatest examples that there ever is to be found in the pages of Scripture of how, yes, yes, again, again, the favor of God can be restored to a life. It's possible to grieve the Holy Spirit, it's possible to quench the Holy Spirit. He is a person. He has emotion. He does notice. He can be offended, but he can also be blessed. He's the invisible presence of Jesus, the person. Our words, our actions can grieve him or bless him, can Quench is one of the words that Paul uses. Quench the fire of the Spirit working in your life or in somebody else's life by the words that we say or the choices that we make. So I say, don't grieve the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit because it is the presence of the Lord Jesus by His Spirit in our lives that is going to make the difference in our lives. And that was David. The Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him from that day forward, it is said. And just a page or two later, we're, we're reading where where Goliath has come to, as the champion for the Philistine, Philistine armies and, and dared anybody to come and fight one-on-one with him. <laughs> and, you know, Nine foot, six inches tall, had an armor bearer who was carrying the stuff that was bigger than David was in terms of armor. And David, and we're going to read that in a minute, David volunteered for the task. He was the one who said, how is this uncircumcised Philistine blaspheming the name of our God and mocking our troops? If nobody else will go, I'll go. Where in the world did that come from? Because all of a sudden he got big biceps and big legs. Something happened in his heart. Same size. Same basic personality, but something moved into his heart. You say, whoa. That's pretty awesome for David. That's pretty awesome for David. But you see, what God did in that way with the Spirit impacting lives in the Old Testament was just a precursor, just an introduction for, just a short video clip of what the Lord wants to do in the lives of every child of his today. You say, I don't know whether I believe that or not. Well, I'm glad you're raising that question. Would you just go with me to Acts chapter 2, please? Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, and Simon Peter is finishing up his message on the day of Pentecost, and he says, uh, when they heard this, verse 37, Acts 2, 37, when they heard what he had said, about Jesus and, and needing to believe in him, they were pierced to the heart and said to the Peter and the rest of the apostles, brother, what, what, what do we do? Now listen to this. And Peter said to them, Repent, and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then he says, And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. It says they received his word, they were baptized in water, and then they began their new life, empowered by the Spirit of Jesus. The promise of the Father, the promise of the Father, Jesus referenced Acts 1, this that the Father promise that John spoke of, that you've heard me say, but you shall receive power after the Spirit has come upon you, and then you shall be my witnesses. You will be empowered and able to be my witnesses here, and and Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. It's the same spirit, same spirit of God, except now this is the spirit of the exalted Jesus moving into the hearts of ordinary people just as the spirit of the Lord came upon David as his older brothers watched what in the world was going on. The promise of the Father is not the cross. The promise of the Father is not the blood of Jesus. The promise of the Father is not the empty tomb. All of those things, B- Peter is saying, here's, here's what you do. You repent, you be baptized, and you shall receive. It, it is that the plan of the Lord is that he will come to fill in power, to strengthen in power, that which has been redeemed, that which has been rescued and forgiven and is in the process of being changed by the power of Of the Holy Spirit. He has the heart to set his favor on your heart, not just in the financial realm, not just materially, because if that was the most important, the Apostle Paul would not have gone to prison and eventually to death without two nickels to rub together in his pocket. And the leaders of the early church would have somehow been living in palatial mansions. And that the, that the whole government of Rome would have been overturned and it would, be, it would be the church ruling and reigning. But that didn't happen. In fact, it was the reverse that seemed to happen. That, that, the, that the oppression came against the church and their property was taken from them. But somehow, the Apostle Paul would say, and find this with me in Galatians chapter 5 real quick. Galatians chapter 5 he says in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. In other words, even if, even if in a material sense you lose everything, or it's marked by deficiency. The greatest gift, the greatest impartation of treasure to your heart and my heart is the presence, the presence of God in your heart, the presence of the Lord Jesus in your heart. These words should be understood in the light of contrast the love of God alive in your heart, when around you there's been rejection, when around you there's been hostility, when around you there's been abandonment, somehow, some way, because of the Spirit of the Lord coming mightily upon you, you're able to know that you are loved even when nobody else is saying, I love you. These are statements of power. The Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David, and he went and whipped Goliath. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon us, moves within our hearts. We receive the promise of the Father, and the result is there is an impartation of abilities that we don't have unless he does that. And then it's the promise of the Father, meaning the Lord makes the promise, but you and I have to receive the promise. So someone can give to you a promissory note, Someone can give to you, make to you a promise. But unless you act on the promise, that you act on your part of the promise, the promise stays in almost a dead state. The, The promise of the father, meaning that he desires for every one of his children to know what it is to experience the impartation of his presence inside your chest. And you've heard me say, it's more than knowing the Bible. It's more than a disciplined church attendance. It's more than having Christian friends. Those things are fine, but they are not the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father is the same thing that happened to David with the Spirit of the Lord coming mightily upon him for the task, for the purpose that God had given him. We are not living in David's day. We do not walk in his shoes. We don't have his assignment. But I'm telling you, there is a purpose for your life. There is a mission for your life. And the way that that's going to be met is not by your energy, your discipline, your self-determination, or the attaboys from powerful people around you. It will only happen as the Lord by His Spirit imparts his power into your life. You say, well, I'm probably not, not going to be called to be a preacher. Thank goodness. we got enough of them. we got enough clergy. we got enough. Well, this, this isn't about having to stand behind a pulpit with a microphone stuck in your face. It's about where you are, doing what you're good at, working through the things that the Lord has equipped you and enabled you to do. And in that place, you're letting your light shine. Folks that are discouraged find their way to you. Folks that need hope find their way to you. The Lord gives to you something, even in a business sense, of a strategy, of a plan, of a technique, of an approach, of a prototype that nobody else has ever thought of. But but you get it. You hear it. You know it. And you speak it. And you'll know. That's the favor of God giving to me by his spirit, something that I couldn't do. Oh, my. Now, I know somebody said, why is he getting so wound up? Because I don't don't want us sitting around on these cushioned pews just patting ourselves on the back because we've been to church on Sunday. No. It's where is he giving you the sense of his presence and the touch in your life out yonder where nobody may even care about who Jesus is, but they can notice something different about you. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good work And glorify your Father who is in heaven. It may not be Jesus coming to them in a dream. It may be you showing up in the place of business with something different about you. And when they ask you, where'd you get it? You say, it's from Jesus Christ, not a church, but Jesus. It's His life within me. I don't understand this any more than anybody else does, you might be able to say, but I know He's real. I know he loves me, and I'm telling you, if he loves me, I know he loves you. From that place, the pulpit that he's given you, in the business community, in the wherever it can be socially, culturally, but in that place where you are, understanding that the same drenching with power that David walked in, he desires for us to walk in as well. David didn't go whip every whip a Goliath every day. That that was. That was one day. That was one event. He couldn't spend his time looking forward to the next Goliath to be. God gave him other things to do, and it would would speak of David uh, as you work through those chapters following 1 Samuel 16, and it would be saying that David, he he took out this this army. He, He led the troops here. This happened, and it would say, because the Lord was with him. Because the Lord was with him. Do, do, do you know what it is for the Lord to be with you? The Lord to help you. I'm talking to some folks who have known that. I'm talking to some folks who, who who have known what it is to look across your life from the categories of your life, and you see favor of God, favor of God, favor of God, favor of God. That season season when your heart was bent toward him, your heart was loving him. You were were proud to be known as one of his. You sensed his presence in your life. You were a champion for his cause in the place where he put you. David, David, you knew what it was for his joy to be operating in your heart you knew what it was that even when opposition would come and difficulty would come and disagreement and 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 even all that war in a sense would come but you still somehow had that sense that you knew the God of all creation was loving you and he wasn't going to back out. And so you could stand and you could take it and you could put up with it. And because you knew that, that he somehow was in charge of things, patience, that supernatural ability to just wait for the Lord would rise up within you because you knew God wasn't expecting you to fight every battle and fix every problem. You were trusting him. You could wait on him. You could wait on him. Love, joy peace, patience, gentleness, when, 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 meanness, when meanness would be the way maybe that you used to operate. Just, just handle it, off with their heads, you know. But there comes to be something different. Folks, those are, those are statements. Those, those nine descriptive terms of the fruit of the Spirit are expressions of the favor of God upon a heart that can be even more valuable than the favor of God in a material sense. So what if you had a new car for every day of the week? What if you had a vacation home in every state? What, what, what if you, you had no debt if, that, that was pressing it upon you, no issue? You, you had all the stuff, but still there was something inside you that was wondering whether or not you were really loved by God. Or whether you were really significant in ways that matter. You see, the Lord can can bless us with material things, but His further desire, not just to take care of us materially, but His further desire, and maybe the deepest of all, is that He wants you to feel and to know His presence in your heart. That you're not an orphan but that you were a chosen, picked out child. Now, I realize that's an ongoing theme around here, but I believe it's the key. It is the key to joy in your relationship with the Lord, taking over the, the duty and the, and the taskmaster kind of thing. I've got to read my Bible this way, and I've got to do my quiet time that way, and I've got to be at church this many times, and I've got to make sure I don't do this. I've got to all of those duties, all of those duties, important in a very real sense, but there's more to the relationship with Jesus than duties. He is not a duty chief. He's not a drill sergeant. He loves you. He desires you. He wants you to know and sense his presence, and he wants to make his presence known. Love, his love, his joy, his peace, his, his patience, his kindness, his goodness. That, that is the favor of the Lord upon a heart. Paul would say in 2 Timothy 4, everybody's left me. I don't fault them for leaving. He was getting ready to be put to death, more than likely. But then he says, but the Lord stood with me, and the Lord encouraged me, and the Lord strengthened me. I sensed his presence in my jail cell, in the middle of the hell that I was going through, in a natural, earthly sense, the Lord. Lord. Listen, you are are a fearsome entity when the enemy can't scare you with what ifs. You are are unstoppable. You are immovable when there is residing within you the sense of his presence. Because you know you're not going anywhere unless Jesus moves. You are where he is. He is where you are. David and Teenager, run of the litter, not respected more than likely by those in his family, just a typical older brothers, young brother, kid brother attitude. God saw something in his heart, a heart that wanted to please the Lord, a heart that, that wanted to obey. And heaven noted that heart, and that was the one he was the one who was, who was chosen. When God sets His favor on a life, and we sense that, we, we, we sense that, we, we see what He's doing, but we sense His presence within. However, as time goes on, there can be competition to that place of the Lord's primacy in our lives. It can be work. It can be your corporate structure. It, It can be an earthly dream that does not necessarily have its foundations in the heart of the Lord for you. And it's not uncommon for men and women who are known to be strong and skilled and able in positions professionally to be offered increasingly challenging levels within the organization. And at some point, you have had to decide, or maybe now, maybe as you look back on it, you're realizing it clearer than ever. You didn't know what you had until you lost it But that position, that title, that opportunity ended up being that which cost you the sense of his presence in your life. It doesn't mean that he left you, you're not an orphan, but whereas in earlier days You had known the sense of his presence. You had known the sense of his pleasure with you, delight, knowing that that you didn't do everything perfect, but he loved you, he has forgiven you, he's with you, he's guiding you, and you and you move into life with a fresh start in that way to be confronted with, challenged by some great opportunities, some awesome possibilities. But you chose I'm speaking this to ones who have made that decision. You've chosen the better part. You remember Mary and Martha? Martha's in the kitchen, up to her neck in dishes, or the food to be cooked, whatever it was. And she, she is bold enough to say to the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus, will you tell Mary to get in here and help me? I'm about to die in this kitchen. And we got all these people coming, and she's out there just sitting on her blessed assurance at your feet and not helping me. I'm paraphrasing that as you can imagine. But that's the gist of it. How did Jesus respond, Martha, you are hassled about by so many things, but Mary has chosen the better part. She can sit here as long as she wants to sit here, and you can be as ticked off as you're going to be, but Mary has chosen the better part part. There are some of you professionally, some of you in in various ways of your life, you have been brought to a crossroads, but you have chosen the better part. Sometimes that comes after we go ahead and take some things, we go ahead and step into some things, only to realize that it has cost me The most valuable part of my relationship with Jesus, and that is the sense of His presence in my life. You mean to tell me, Pastor, that there are some things more important than making a ton of money? Now let's just think about that a minute. You ever had a dollar bill to kiss you on the cheek? You ever had a hundred dollar bill? to call you in the middle of the night when you were worried about something or scared about something or or something is breaking your heart in the life. life. You ever had a dollar bill to grow arms and legs and have a mouthpiece and love on you? It's a parasite. It sucks. It draws. It can become its own kind of deity. Bless you for choosing the better part, those of you who have. But David went on to be the king of an entire nation. He, he, he went on to, to have more plenty than he could ever imagine following those, those sheep. But the time came somehow, way, when he got clouded in his focus. He, he got distracted in his pursuit. And you remember the story of how he should have been out with the armies in the spring of the year, but he stayed home, and there was Bathsheba, another man's wife, and here he is, and he sees her, and and, and he sends for her, and they they sleep together, and she gets pregnant. She tells him her husband's still out on TDY, and so he comes up with a plan. Let's see if I can get him home let him sleep with her one night, and then we've got an excuse for her being pregnant. He wouldn't do it. His, his allegiance to his troops, feeling that, that they weren't able to be with their wives, be with their families, so I'm not going to do it. So he slept at the door of his own house, Uriah. When, when that part of the plan failed, David's so so distant now, so so much fallen off of that cliff, away from the sense of the presence of the Lord, Then he comes up with another plan. Sent word to the commander of the troops, put Uriah at the heat of the battle, at the point of the spear. When the enemy engages, you pull back, you withdraw, so that Uriah would be killed by the Philistine. He did it. Followed the king's orders. Uriah was killed. So then it would look like it was an honorable thing for the king who had gotten this wife pregnant to marry her to take care of her honorable thing. (laughs) I I want you to, I got to wrap this up here pretty quick. But, But here's what I want you to know. He's a king. He had everything. He had more than one option with women in those days. There were concubines. There were multiple wives. That seemed to be okay in that day, not allowed in our day. So what was the deal with Bathsheba? Somewhere or another, the attraction there, some way or another, he was, it wasn't her nearly so much as it was him. Obviously, he's the king, he gave a command, she came, she gets pregnant. But in the process of all of that, the sense of the presence of the Lord, grieved. So concerned was David after a year of trying to cover this. He he ends up in Psalm 51 crying out, God, don't take your spirit from me. God, don't take your spirit from me. God, don't take your spirit from me. Even though he had everything that he could ever want. And his plan to cover his sin had worked out here, but it hadn't worked this way. And the grief of the Father who had called him, picked him out, blessed him, prospered him, the grief of the Father, causing there to be the sense of distance there, came to be, and you read it in Psalm 51, came to be the greatest ache, the greatest sense of loss in David's life against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in this sight. Oh God, create in me a clean heart. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Prophet Nathan came to him. You see, when God has a purpose for your life, when he's called you, we'll be confronted. We will be challenged at the points where we need correction. And then it's up to us to how we respond. The prophet Nathan came into David and confronted him called Bathsheba's name called Uriah's name how did he know God told him it was revealed to the prophet to which David's response was I have sinned against God for a year he tried to cover it but what got him was what he had lost It wasn't what he still had, it was what he had lost, that sense of the closeness, of the presence of God to his life. So what then? What then? What then? If you find your way to Psalm 103, just real quick, Psalm 103, listen to what David would write later. Verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities in full, in full. There have been consequences, but not In full. And he says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. David returned to the place of reverencing the Lord, not treating the Lord as just an asterisk to his life, just a former segment of his life. He returned to the place fearing the Lord, reverencing the Lord, as far as the east is from the west. So far has He removed our transgressions from us. And then look at this. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. For He Himself knows our frame. He's mindful that we are but dust. In Isaiah 55, Seek the Lord while he may be found, verse 6. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord. And he will have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And he says, for my thoughts, my thoughts about compassion, my thoughts about pardoning are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As far as the heavens heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Verse 11, so shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. I'm talking to some folks today who maybe at some point in your past, the heart of the Lord was spoken over you. A dream, a sense of grasping what His purpose could be for you or would be for you as He owned your heart, as His power filled you, and you lived in the light of his word for your life for maybe years. And then something has happened. And like David, though not the same sins of David, a very definite turning away from the Lord. But you found, and you're listening to me today, you found that the greatest thing you miss is not a location or a street address or necessarily even a person. But the greatest thing you miss is the sense of the Lord's life and love in your heart. If you could go back and redo things to have that back, you would do it. But that's impossible. So what now? Isaiah 65, 55 says, let the wicked man, woman, person forsake the way. The way of thinking, the way of choosing, the way of companionship in those directions. And let him return to the Lord come back home come back home for he will abundantly part do you remember the story of Jesus in Luke 15 he told three parables as they are called to illustrate one point is the lost sheep the lost coin the lost boy And at the end of every one of those stories, this stunning statement that Jesus makes, there's more joy in heaven over a sinner who returns, over a prodigal who comes home, than there are over a hundred who need no repentance in that way. The father in Jesus' story saw that boy, Walk down the road away from the family and away from everything the family stood for. Gonna make my own way, gonna do it my own way. And he goes out, and you know the story. Spends everything, squanders everything. Then in Jesus' story, he comes as he came to his senses. And he said, Even the servants in my father's house are living with the favor of my father on them. And here I am about to starve to death and die. I'll go home. And I'll say to my father, I've sinned in your sight. And I've sinned in heaven's sight. I'm not asking you to make me a son again. Just let me be as one of your hired men. Oh, goodness. That aged father, those two grown boys... He'd seen that youngest one walk off down that dirt road, bend at the top of the hill, and disappear off into la-la land until the day when he saw that shape at the end of that road. And he kept watching, and as the shape got closer, it was that boy. And Jesus says, he didn't call, he didn't call the police, he didn't call the Texas Rangers. He he went himself. He ran to the boy. This is Jesus. This is the father's heart. When the prodigals finally come home, he ran and fell on him, hugged his neck, began to kiss him, brought the boy back and said, Go kill that fat calf out yonder that we've been saving for something important. You bring him in here and we're going to. Have a celebration because this son of mine who was dead has come to life again. This son of mine who was lost has been found. That's the heart of this. Finding again the grace of God. Come home, come home, come home. Finding again the grace of God. His heart is warm. His heart is tender. He's been missing you. He's been missing you. He's been missing you. Come on. Come on. Come on. Somebody is needing to hear this. And this is a massive breakthrough for your life if you'll just do what is in your heart to do. Know that it's the enemy lying, saying he would never forgive you, he would never restore you, he would never bring you back. You've lost it all forever. The only one in the universe who is speaking that to your heart is Satan, the father of lies. You hold up the testimony of Scripture, there's rejoicing in heaven when somebody who has strayed comes back home to the Lord. Lord I ask you please to take this where it needs to go this morning. Fresh cleansing. Fresh breakthrough. The hope of God. The hope of God and the help of God. Come upon us now. Come upon us Lord by your spirit. Come upon us. Set captives free to lies in the name of Jesus. Set one's Bound by the lies of worthlessness and hopelessness and defeat, set them free by the truth of Your Word, Lord. Holy Spirit, come in power to speak to our hearts what we need to hear, that we may find again the favor of God on our lives. In Acts chapter 13. Paul references David in a message he's bringing to a community, to churches in a community, in a trial probably. The statement is this. David served the purpose of God for his generation, and then he fell asleep and was buried with his father. That is the summary statement looking back over all of David's life that included his midnight of the soul. Even with that included, God didn't quit on his purpose for David. David served the purpose of God for his generation, good, bad, and ugly. It was true of him. By the grace and mercy of Jesus, it can be true of us. If the Lord has called you, he's going to finish what he's called you for. Say yes instead of saying no. And the restoration and the rest of your life and the sense of his presence can and will return. And you will finish well by the power of his Spirit. Amen. Amen, amen, and amen. Let's stand together. If we can pray for you in this room, pray with you, and you're here today. we just step out, and prayer partners, if you'll join me here, we want to have that time just to pray through with you if you need that. Streaming family, you, you may just need to get on your knees right where you are, and just Lord, I'm, I'm letting this in, help me, help me. Help me, Holy Spirit, to understand the hope that is in these words. Finding again the favor of God. That's his goal. That's his heart for you. Let us hear from you. If we can stand in prayer with you, Pastor Walker at alamocity.org. i just reminded of what I got from my brother coming into this service. He said, David, I feel like the Lord... When I asked him how to pray, how should I pray, I felt that he spoke to my heart, pray that my prodigal children will come home because I miss them. I miss them. I miss them. What a father. What a father. We do as you were led to do. God bless you for being a part of this today. And We'll see you next time.